0: In the middle of our previous episode, the coaching change we alluded to mercifully happened. However, there are some sides to the story that you might not know about. We will dissect the changes in Philadelphia in our main topic and the 20-year-old goaltender that can possibly save their season. Plus, the Sens get some players back, the Minnesota Wild lose a big piece of their blue line to injury, and Eric Carlson gets suspended. Episode 151 starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth.
1: I'm Brett Duboff.
0: Today, as always, we're going to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question?
1: I am ready, yes.
0: All right, question 39 is as follows. How many NHL scoring lines have all three members in the Hockey Hall of Fame? a only two b four c seven or d ten or more
1: that's a good question um it's either seven or four i feel like ten or more it would be like because not like it's usually like two good players on a line um and then the third one's usually like uh just along for the ride um. So that's usually the case. So that's why I feel like it's not ten or more. But uh, I'm gonna say uh, seven. So it's
0: actually ten or more.
1: Uh Wow. All right. Well. Okay. I guess. Uh, well that's what happens when you go with your gut I guess. Um, <laughs> well
0: sometimes it pays off sometimes uh, it doesn't.
1: That I don't know why I, yeah, know. That,
0: that's that's a very tough question. I don't think a lot of people would get that. I
1: don't know. I guess I guess now that I think about it I guess it makes sense but I don't know. It's all right whatever. I can't really spin zone it now. <laughs> um anyways. Uh so as uh, Steve mentioned in our to start the show we, uh we recorded in the middle of when Dave Hackstall was fired um what was interesting about the fact that we were recording was is that we were there were reports like 24 hours earlier that uh, Quenville was going to be the new coach and um me and I was remember talking to Steve is like okay we're not gonna re- we're not gonna talk about this until it's official. And then you know it has to be official right before we record to talk about it. And if it record if it happens like while we record, then so be it. And look what happened. Of course, Quenville did not become the coach, but um, but Hackstall was fired. Um, Scott Gordon is the interim coach. Um, I found some interesting stats about Hackstall that. You know, because it seemed like Hackstall's job was on the line for about the last two or three years uh, since he's been around, really. Um, but he still had a decent record. He was 134, 101, and 42 um, as a record as a coach. He was also the fourth most tenured coach in the NHL, and he was fired. And this was the most crazy stat that I've I've ever heard. Um, and this is new to Steve, um, that he was, he had the fifth most wins amongst flyers coaches, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, cause yeah, I, I, know he had 134 victories, yeah. but I
0: didn't realize it brings so high on the list of flyers. coaches. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's good or bad. If you're
1: Philadelphia. Right. So I looked this up and I wanted to see who were the four ones who beat out Hackstall Fred Shiro had 308, that was, he was the coach during the Broad Street Bullies era. Um, Mike Keenan had 190, Peter LaViolette, which I thought had a little bit more victories, but he had 145, Pat Quinn had a 141, and then as we just mentioned, Hackstall had 134. Um, the Flyers are two and one since the firing. Um, so there's that, oh, actually they're two and two because uh, they played it last night. Um, so they're two and two since the firing. Um, and um, yeah. I guess before we get into how he he got fired, do you have any um, you have anything to say about anything I just said? <laughs>
0: um,
1: just initial reactions.
0: Well, just the initial reaction. Like, I, I, I thought after the five three collapsed to Calgary in the final minute, I thought something's gotta happen like this team this team looks lost they're, it seems like they're doing their best but for whatever reason Dave Haxtell's not getting enough to make this team competitive to make this team look intimidating uh, like they're, they're limiting shots against but for whatever reason their goaltending is either not getting it done or it's banged up like there's no tomorrow and Regardless of how much of the responsibility lays on the coach, um, I think there are forces beyond Dave Haxtell's control that contributed to his firing. I don't think he deserves to wear all the blame, Yep, but he deserves to take
1: some of it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it had to do with just their goaltending, and he never like they never got consistent goaltending. But that's been an issue. Uh, well, first off, that's not necessarily the coach's fault. That's also you know that's just more of like the it's GM. Just the coach's fault that the right. goaltending is hurt half the time. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, they're three. They're three and one. Um, I thought they lost last uh, yesterday, but they they're uh, they, three and one. They won in a shootout against yeah. the Rangers. Um, so, uh, yeah, so they're three and one. Um, and you know, I thought like, you know, that's not something like, it's not really like Michael Nervirth, Stolarz, Alex Lyon, Brian Elliott, they seem to all have injury history, injury history. And they're all like good goalies when they're healthy About It's just like, that's the key word is when healthy, um, key words, I should say. So. I think that was a big part of it, but at the same time, when you have a guy, guys like uh, Drew Forchek, Simmons, um, and now you have Nolan Patrick, who's a you know a good young talent, um, who they got second overall, and then on the back end you have like two of the best young defensemen in the league in Provorov and Gosper, you know, and then you're still like near the last in the division then yeah, I think it's partially the coach's fault because like their team is way too much, too talented to uh, be like near the bottom of their division. And I know it's a tough division with Washington, Pittsburgh. Uh, Now Columbus is pretty good. And um, they have a couple of other teams as well, like the Islanders, I guess. Um, But it still seems like the Flyers could like at least be in the fourth spot there. Um, and at least make some noise. Um, I also forgot to mention Couturier as well. So it's like, um, so I guess it's, it, I felt like it was the right move to make because it it seemed like all of those guys that I just mentioned, um, they all started to like drop off, and I feel like um, they could be better, and I feel like that might make it more towards like, Hackstall just lost the room, um, so so I think it's the right move. Um, I am curious to see what uh, day De- uh, what the other um, Scott Gordon can do um, with this team, but um, it does seem like they're like a good team. It's just they're like you know they have to um, you know now they have to actually prove that they like. That the locker room is, you know, it was Dave Haxstall's fault kind of thing. So um we'll see how that goes. Um, so, uh, apparently, what happened after the firing, uh, we found out that Haxstall, so Haxall heard reports about Quenville replacing him, which uh, we all heard. Um, and then what ended up happening is the Flyers had to publicly say something. Coach Quenville had to say something that he's not um, he's not going to be the coach. Um, and Fletcher even yeah, like, said that so as well. Vividly, I
0: remember vividly the yeah.
1: morning of the podcast when we were recording. Yeah. And the article
0: says Flyers, Dave Haxtall is our coach.
1: Mm-hmm. But then, so then what happened, so Fletcher said so as well. And then Hackstall wanted a vote of confidence after this whole ordeal, because even though it was a rumor and it didn't end up becoming true, Hackstall still felt like, well, wait a second, maybe are they actually going to fire me? Um, and so then Hackstall asked Fletcher to, for a vote of confidence. And this is when Fletcher wouldn't um, give him that vote of confidence. And then that's when Hackstall um, Decided to leave or be fired, whichever way you want to put it. But um, but because Fletcher wasn't able to say, like, hey, you're going to keep this job throughout the season, um, that's what ultimately caused hackstall to leave, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it, because Hextall, the GM, I know, because they have similar last names, was like, um, you know kind of was fired a couple weeks ago and you know usually what happens when you fire the gm the usually what happens is the coach comes into place right afterwards or the gm gets in their guy uh to be the coach because you know it's, that, that is an important aspect of things is the coach and gm relationship so i guess it sounds like it just from that from that report, it may seem that Hackstall's job was, he was going to be fired anyways. Um, so it was just a matter of time. And I guess Fletcher just started to like this whole rumor mill caused him to fire Hackstall anyways. Um, so, and, and he said
0: that, um, Chuck Fletcher, um, regarding dave Haxtall, he says my goal is not to make quick decisions i want to make right decisions Mm -hmm. so like you know mid-season like if he doesn't like he says the goal is to make the playoffs but if he realizes at some point that goal is probably not going to happen this year maybe next year or the years down the road is the most likely course of action to be focusing on um then I can understand waiting until the end of the season assessing where the team is with Dave Hacks on then making the decision to move on. And that's why he's placing the intern tag on Scott Gordon. He, he says Scott Gordon is gonna be a candidate for the broader search during the off season, but he's not ready to call him the head coach beyond this year because he wants to make sure that he's found the right guy. And he's gonna take the, every single ounce of time this off season to make sure that whether it's Scott Gordon or whether it's somebody else, that he knows he's got the right guy to lead the Philadelphia Flyers.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know necessarily if Scott Gordon's going to be the guy, but um, I mean, so far they seem to be doing pretty well. Um, so. Uh, I mean, it's just as long as they can be consistent is the thing, right? So, um, I think like we can wait maybe a, a, another months to fully see um, how um, Scott Gordon's going. I I know he's interim right now, so um, that really depends on everything, but we'll see. Um, also, we we did talk about this uh, last episode was that Carter Hart was going to be. Uh, called up, and I didn't realize this, but he was, he was made the starter, um, the day, the next day. Um, I thought that meant like I thought when they called him up, it was just like on an emergency basis, and you know they weren't seriously they. I was hoping they weren't seriously gonna um, start him just because they had you know because they had to, but it was more on an emergency basis. But they started him. Um, He actually didn't play too well in his first uh, two games. Um, He gave up two goals in the first game. Uh, He gave up one goal in the second game against Nashville of all teams. Yeah, so he didn't play too bad. No. In the Nashville game, he
0: stopped 31 and 32, and the Preds had six power plays to work with,
1: and the Flyers killed off all six. Right, and um, also, by the way, Cal caught a hot. I'm going to call him that from now on because that's, cause that's that, the Boston that's accent. That's what you're going to say every day. I know. The, the Flyers Bruins Rowery is actually going to be fun yeah. because you're, you're just getting an excuse to say that. True. Yeah, I, I don't have a Boston accent as I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows, but I really do want to win. Carter Hot has the perfect name uh, to make a Boston accent out of. Um. Anyways, he had, he had, uh, as you mentioned, he had 20 saves and then he had 31 saves against Nashville, um, in his second game. And then, um, on Saturday he, uh, he had his first bad game, um, where he gave up four goals on, um, on, uh, 19 shots, um, Having said all that, I think like, it seemed like a lot of those goals like weren't necessarily his fault. It was more like defensive stuff, but um, still that kind of drives down his save percentage and his GAA, but they're still decent enough. Uh, He has a 2.36 GAA, a save percentage of 904 and a win loss record of two and one. Um, So, I mean, it is promising. I mean, he's still 20 years old. I'm still a little worried about his development and um but I think this will be his first big test is after after that like his first bad game I wonder how his confidence is and I think that's the big worry is is if he get once he gets like he has a bad game because every goalie has a bad game, especially starting out, it's just really like can you overcome that and and be a good goalie and that's what I'm, I'll be curious to see if he's gonna continue. Um, will he be more like what he played against with Nashville and Detroit or will he be more along the lines of CBJ um, in the first year? I think in the long term he should be okay. Um, but if he starts like losing a lot of goals and losing a lot of games like that. I feel like it, it, it has to hurt his development at some point. So, um, so that's my main worry of him. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, yeah. Well, um, the,
0: the, the thing to keep in mind as well is is how the team is playing in front of Carter mm-hmm. Hart as well. Um, because uh, they, they were going up against some pretty good teams i mean say what you will about detroit like detroit is probably not going to be a playoff team this year but you know there are no pushovers they've got a lot of talent they got guys like dylan larkin and they're they're going to be a pretty tough test and they got a narrow 3-2 victory um they um go up against and 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 that uh, the detroit game uh, they actually didn't give up a goal in the first period for the first time in ten games, and it was also um, it, it was also a game where um, I believe the Flyers for the second time in fifteen games had a lead after the first period. It was some
1: it was something like that
0: absolutely ridiculous stat that basically screams this team needs help right. Um, And then you go to the nashville game and it's one of the few times this year that the flyers have won a game without scoring three or more goals and they did that against a very good Nashville predators team um and in that game claude drew has 10 shots on goal and eight of philly's first 23 shots so um you know guys like claude drew are playing well and in the columbus game they lost four to three Even though Carter Hart gave out four goals and 19 shots, they lost four to three. Philly almost got 40 shots in that game, and they had 60 shot attempts. So again, there's positives. Even when they're losing, there's positives to look at. And then the very next day, they go into Madison Square Garden, and they uh, take a 3-2 decision in a shootout against the Rangers. So again, their resolve is there. So I think even if you're losing it's important to have something to build upon and in the final days of the Dave paxtall era they didn't have really anything to build upon it was just a really hard loss you couldn't really look on the bright side anymore it just wasn't a good feeling yeah but now they have promise they have this energetic rebirth um with a new coach with carter hart and goal and they're starting to get some good vibes again. And I think in order to succeed, you need to feel good about coming into the rank every day. Yep. And I don't think too many people in Philly had good vibes in the final days of the Hackstall era. And I think uh it was better off to make this change and it'll be interesting to see down the road um uh, what happens with Scott Gordon. Um like is, like you said, after the five-game mark, how's his team going to perform? And the trick with Carter Hart, you allude to his long-term development. Chuck Fletcher said this uh, regarding Carter's development. The important thing for Carter is to make sure that he's playing. If he's playing well here and getting the majority of starts, that's great. If he ends up being a backup for a while, that doesn't make much sense to me. It's hard to predict, but as long as he's playing, I'll be happy, and winning games up here, that's great. We won't put any limits on him.
1: Interesting, and, yeah.
0: The dangers with that statement is, like you said, in the long term, how's he going to bounce back? Yeah. Because you look at Carey Price, before he became one of the best goaltenders in the league, You know, he had his bright moments. But I, it was like year two, year three, year four, where he had a below 500 season. Right. People were talking about shipping him instead of Halak, and they ended up trading Halak uh, to uh, St. Louis and re-signing Carey Price instead. Um, and it was at around that point where Carey Price really started to blossom and never looked back. So um, there's no guarantee that's going to happen with Carter Hart. They're just hoping that if Carter Hart hits a bump in the road, that he's going to recover.
1: Speaking of um, development and Carter Hart's development, uh, there are reports, according to Nick Kiprios, that the Flyers have had conversation with the LA Kings about Jonathan Quick. Um uh, quick, by the way, just as a refresher, he has, I mean, he's still a pretty good goalie. Um, he has 5.8 million with four years left. So I feel like this is, um, not that I hate Jonathan Quick or anything, or, um, but I feel like that wouldn't make sense. Well, I don't understand why the Kings would do it. Um, maybe the Flyers would do it just because they need, um, you know cuz they're on their sixth goalie of the season with Carter Hart and if and as we're mentioning cuz they could further ruin his de- future development by doing this um so uh so I guess that's why they would try to look for outside help with their goaltending but at the same time it I don't know if Jonathan Quick's the guy especially when he has like 5.8 million on the cap and he's like 32 years old. He he still has four years left. Um, I don't necessarily understand why Quick would necessi- like. I mean, I guess he would help their goaltending situation immediately, but um, at the same time, it's not, uh, just in terms of the long-term, I don't think it makes much sense.
0: Especially, well, uh, actually, no, that's not true.
1: I mean, Jonathan Quick's been a pretty healthy goalie. Oh, wait. <laughs> that that's true too. Yeah, that's because a good point. he's been hurt yeah.
0: this year and two years ago he missed a significant amount of time right. due to injury, and they had to get Ben Bishop uh, in the trade deadline, and that didn't really work well for the Kings. So you're just basically getting a goalie in his 30s that you hope stays healthy, but you're not really sure. And even if he's healthy, um, are his best years behind him? Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Quick is like nearing his mid 30s right now.
1: Yeah, and I mean I can totally understand not wanting to rush a goalie, like, a goalie, like, that has the potential like Carter Hart has, Carter Hart has. But at the same time, you know, like, I don't know if Jonathan Quick is the right goalie to target in a trade uh, just because of, as you mentioned, he also has injury history. Um, he's also, you know, he's, he and his cap space, the uh, he's on four more years um, so I don't I feel like that would ruin the development of of Carter Hart more than anything, because and, and it's, and it's not just right. injury
0: history. It's recent injury.
1: History. Right. And it's also like, why would the Kings do it? Like Cal Peterson was OK when he was uh, when Quick was injured this year. But at the same time, like, you know, like, are you going to rely on Cal Peterson to be the goalie? Uh, for if you're LA, I don't I don't understand it from that perspective. No, they probably um, rely so, on Jack Campbell and then Peterson. Yeah, but Jack Campbell is injured right now. He's on the LTII. L T I that's the they rely on. And yeah, sorry, I guess that's true. But I don't know if he's the goalie of the future either. So yeah. Um, so I don't know if they like would necessarily do that. I guess it depends on who the Flyers would send back. But I think
0: the only way that would work is if it was a t- three-team trade.
1: Yeah, and it would also depend on it, like maybe the Flyers could send out like Alex Lyon or Stolars or one of their goalies that um, may not actually uh, be, um, you know, may not be a big part of their future, but uh, could be something. So. Um, so maybe in that sense it could be something, but yeah, I feel like the Flyers would have to send even more than just a goalie that they have. Um, so yeah, I, d- I don't really understand this report. Um, so I, that's why I, I didn't. I almost didn't even want to talk about it just because I didn't realize. But um, yeah, it it seems kind of crazy. Um, and then the last question before we get to the are they for real. Um, how do we think Scott Gordon will do? Um, he's an intern him for now, but will this, will he be permanent? Uh,
0: well, see, the, the thing with um, Scott Gordon is he's been a coach before. He has NHL experience. Dave Haxtell did not have any NHL experience before this. So I think maybe Scott Gordon... Knows how an NHL team works. He knows how to get his players involved right off the bat. Um, but you look at his record with the Islanders; it wasn't all that great. Yeah. So maybe in theory, with a better Flyers roster, he can do some more good work with this team than he could with the Islanders. Um, but even if even if they do somehow like the playoffs. This team is still a first-round exit right now. Yeah, like, I don't see them anything more than a first-round exit, unless they improve big time on defense, on goaltending, um, and and people, what's uh, and I didn't even know this about Dave Hackstall. Apparently, it's just game two into his tenure with the Flyers after losing seven to one to Florida. The players held a players-only meeting.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
0: Um, you know, I guess I guess Scott Gordon is is lucky to not have that happen to him. Uh, yeah, four games into his thing with the Flyers, um, I think if he does decent, he's gonna he's gonna find his way onto the Flyers coaching staff, maybe as yeah. an assistant coach. But I I don't really see the perfect fit for the Flyers being Scott Gordon as a head coach. I um,
1: beyond
0: this beyond this year, especially if, if Joel Quenville's on the market, like Chuck Fletcher can can say, oh, you know, the only time i talked to Quenville or the past two years is right. sending him my best after he was caned in Chicago in November. And if he thinks Joel Quenville can do a good job, he's going to get in touch with him and he's going to be like, hey, want to go to the Flyers? Yeah. So um, I think if the market is very, very strong, and there are a lot of good names out there, I don't think Scott Gordon is the coach beyond this year.
1: I don't know. I, f- I feel like maybe yeah i guess that that that's a good point i feel like obviously if scott gordon uh doesn't you know if he like if they end up the flyers end up being a still a bad team and obviously i don't think gordon will be a bad uh will be the coach next year for them um however um i'm looking at his minor league stats because he coached the lehigh valley phantoms uh, which Mm -hmm. is the flyers affiliate team he doesn't have a bad record um, especially last year, he had a 47, he was 47 19 and five. Um, last year for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, yeah. I think um, they went to the conference finals, yeah, too. and they lost in the conference finals to the Marlies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the year before that, he had a 48 23 and five record as well. So, I feel like um, this kind of like reminds me of like the Bruce Cassidy model or the Mike Sullivan model, where they, like, they both, they all, all three of them had uh, varying success in the NHL before then, and then uh, they go to coach a minor league team in the AHL or, um, you know, for Scott Gordon he was in the ECHL, and then, um, and then you know he learns through that and then a couple years later then all of a sudden he becomes the head coach for the pro team because he's he knows all these different prospects because he's been in the system for the last three years so he knows like how the prospects are going to do so I feel like if Scott Gordon or the Flyers like somehow make the playoffs or even get close to the playoffs I feel like it'd be tough to fire him even if like a guy like Joel Quenville is available and is willing to uh, coach for them. So um, I feel like it's all in Scott Gordon's hands. If 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 the Flyers are rejuvenated um, throughout the the entire year and they can be consistent, um, then I think uh, I think he's going to be the coach next year. But uh, but if not, then, yeah, I think uh, they're going to look somewhere else.
0: I think there's also a possibility that maybe they convince him to just, like, stick around, not be the head coach, but, like, be an important part of the coaching staff. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you get someone like Joel Quenville who doesn't really know the players inside and out, you're that fly on the wall that he can use that's just like, you know, how yeah. can
1: I get the most out of this player? What makes this guy tick? That's fair, I guess. I, I, I just I think, I think having that kind of insight uh, can't be measured in value. In I ways. guess that's... And, I, I think Scott Gordon
0: is going to be very useful in, in that department but, if he can, he can really, if he can really, if he's really able to hone into his players' skills and his players' personality traits um, and really get the most out of them and, and they go in a different direction and they hire someone like Joe Quenville. He yeah. can be a very important part of the assistant coaching staff because the Chicago Blackhawks, as good as they were under Joe Quenville, he had high praise for his assistance as well. And when yeah. Mike Kitchen was fired in Chicago, Quenville was hype, uh, Quenville was furious.
1: Right. Yeah, I I guess I get but like if let's say the Flyers do make the playoffs somehow, uh are you going to fire like I don't see how you could fire Scott Gordon after you make the playoffs. Yeah, and I wouldn't. Okay. I'm just- they go in a different
0: direction and they get Quenville, I do whatever I can to entice Scott Gordon to stay around
1: oh. and and help out Joel Quenville or well, whoever's in charge. That's also Because, because this,
0: this, this is a voice I think that the Flyers need. If, if, they're able, yeah. if they're able to get someone like Joel Quenville and keep someone like Scott Gordon and, and become a force for many, many years to come and just right. have everyone buy into their respective roles, yeah. if there's a way to do that, why not do
1: it? Yeah, no, I guess. I I just, I don't know. I feel like even if he's still, like, not, um, I still feel like if if he's not able to, like, be, like, I feel like this is, like, a make or break year for him. Like, if he can be a good coach, then he has a job. If he's not, then I feel like they're just gonna get rid of him. It's true. And, so. and
0: maybe if a guy like Joel Quenville isn't on the open market, I wouldn't be suggesting this, and I would definitely say, yeah, if they yeah. make the playoffs somehow, then, yeah, keep him around for sure. Right. But if, if you if you think you have a cup-contending team and Joel Quenville can make it better, you try and make that happen. Yep, because That's true. As, as good as as good as Scott Gordon might be, could you live with passing up on Joel Quenville
1: again no I don't think so <laughs> uh, yeah that's fair um okay uh, let's go to the are they for real section this time we have two teams that are kind of both on the re uh, rebound but they've both at the same time they've both shown like um, signs that they they are serious but um, they could be you know something um, but I guess that's the sign of a good rebuilding team is if they can manage to make uh, games close um, you know maybe they, they can build on it um, but anyways so we're gonna start with the New York Rangers uh, they are they are fifth in the Metro division they are uh, 15, 14, and 6 with 36 points. They have a goal differential of minus 13. Um, Kevin Hayes has been a revelation this year. He has 30 points in 35 games. Mika Zabinijad also has 30 points in, in 35 games. Uh, Chris Kreider has been pretty good, um, although he has 25 uh, points. Uh, Jimmy VC has shown some some flashes, but he's still a little inconsistent. But anyways, he has nineteen points. Uh, Neil Pionk has nineteen points as well. He's kind of replaced Kevin Shattenkirk as the PP one. A couple of other players to note: Brett Howden has fourteen points. Philip Hedl has thirteen points. Uh, Zuccarello has twelve points in twenty two games. Um. I mentioned Shannon Kirk. he has 8 points in 29 games, so that's um, interesting in the, other, in the other side of things. Uh, Lundqvist ha- is 10, 9, and 6, with a GAA of 2.83 and a save percentage of 9.15, which isn't bad. Um, yeah, the, the thing with the Rangers is I don't think they'll make the playoffs, but I kind of, I don't know. I, I've watched a couple of their games because I have a couple of players um, on my fantasy teams. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not a terrible team. Um, it's just, uh, you know, there are definitely times... It's just funny because I remember last year when uh, uh, their GM wrote a uh, letter to the fans saying that they were going to rebuild. And then it just turns out that, like, guys like Philip Heidel, Leas Anderson, uh, Brett Howden, Neil Pionk, those, like, young guys are, like, players you can build on. And then you still have guys like uh, Kevin Hayes, Mika Zabinajad, Chris Kreider, um, Namisnikov. They all have, like, they, Zuccarello. They all have, like, this, uh, they're still pretty good players. And, of course, you have Henrik Lundqvist, who's, like, uh, you know, who, who's uh, still pretty good as, like, a 40-year-old. So um, I don't know. It, 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 it's weird. They're in like the kind of like they're not bad enough to be a lottery team, but they're not good enough to be a playoff team. Uh, so um, so are they for real? They're kind of where I expected them to be.
0: Yeah, they're, they're right in the middle for me, too. I mean, you take a look at uh, their stats, like even with a record of 15, 14, and 6, they're ranked 23rd out of 31 teams in the league. Yep. Uh, near the bottom 10 in goals against, bottom 10 in goals score as well. Uh, their power play, pretty decent at 19%. They're middle of the pack there. Um, and when you consider they've owned the low, uh, the sixth lowest power play time on ice this year, uh, that 19% looks even better Yep. Um, but then you look at stuff like their penalty kill, 25th in the league, below 80%, 5th highest shots against per game so poor Henrik Lundqvist is yeah. still having to uh, stand on his head some nights um, average shots generated per game they're in the bottom 10 in that regard uh, 5 of their 15 wins have come via the shootout so um, they're winning a lot of close games um top five team in giveaways. This is a key stat that burned them last year. Um, they were top three, top five in, in most giveaways. And similar to parts of last season it was the same story. Hasn't changed this year, I believe. Uh, they have the third most giveaways with 481 heading into the Christmas break. The only other teams that have registered more are Detroit and Florida. Um, nine of their first 35 games, they've had a lead after 20 minutes. Out of those nine contests, they've only won three. And even though they've scored first in 20 of their first 35 games, they've won just eight of those games. Yeah. So you're right. They're not necessarily a bad team, but are they good enough to make the playoffs, especially when you consider that that the Penguins and Flyers are starting to get better? Uh, No. No, Uh, they're... They've they've got a lot of bright spots. Like Kevin Hayes is having a career year. Zavana Jad is having a career year. Neil Pion, like you said, really stepped it up. Chris Kreider has 17 goals. Brjanevich has 11 points in 19 games. That's another one. But they're just too inconsistent for me to call them a playoff team.
1: Yeah, um I agree. I feel like they're going to like win 41 game wh- 41 games and then lose 41 games in total. So, <laughs> yeah. um they're like the epitome of being like bad and good at the same time. So, um yeah, I think um especially in their division, like I feel like if you put them I don't know actually, you know, now all four divisions are pretty tough. <laughs> I was going to say if you put them in like the weakest division, um, I feel like you uh, they could maybe sneak into the playoffs, but I don't even know if that's true. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess the Metro is kind of the weakest division, now that I think about it, you now looking here. Um, but, oh, actually it's probably the Atlantic. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably the
0: Atlantic, but even then, yeah. like, teams like Detroit and Ottawa are... Right are given teams to run for their money and going back to how good King, King Henrik has been for the Rangers a GAA close to 2.9 yep 915 save percentage
1: yeah it's crazy um so uh the next team when I picked them they were after I disparaged them for uh, like their season being done they go on a three game win streak and and not like ter- not like bad teams uh, to begin with, I'm I'm talking about the Chicago Blackhawks, um, in case you didn't know. Um, but, uh, so I thought they were done right after they lost Corey Crawford. Um, but they ended up beating Nashville. They beat Dallas. Um, and then they beat Colorado. Um, and, um, and then they lost to Florida last night, but um, They, uh, so I'm starting to wonder if they are for real, but I, it looks like they probably aren't, um, but I, I guess it gave me a good opportunity uh, to talk about them uh, because, uh, let's see, I, I wanted to mention that despite them not being that good, um, just on the defensive side of things and their goalie is very inconsistent, Um, but uh, Patrick Kane, um, it still has 44 points in 38 games. Uh, Jonathan Taze has a bounce back season this year with 32 points in 39 games. Alex Zabrinkat has 17 goals with 31 points. Uh, Brandon Sada also has another kind of bounce back season. He has 20 points in 37 games. And this is where it starts getting ugly when I start reading all these stats. Is uh, Eric Gustafsson has 18 points in 36 games. Anisimov has 17 points in 35 games. Duncan Keith has 16 points, still zero goals. So he's uh, very reflective of last year um, where he didn't have a ton of goals in 39 games, but he still gets some assists every now and then. Um, 15 points for Brent Seabrook, 14 points for Dominic Yoko um, Yokoharu, who's gonna be in the World Juniors has 11 11- points points in 32 games he doesn't have goals either but um, also Connor Murphy has kind of picked it up le- uh, recently he has five points in nine games um, so there's a couple of players like that where they're showing potential but I don't think it's just there yet um, I feel like in a couple of years we could see something going uh, Corey Crawford as I mentioned he, he's he had a concussion last last week um, but he had a 902 save percentage and a th- GAA of 3.28. He had a win-loss record of 6-14 and uh, two, so not great. Uh, but Cam Ward uh was is 6-6 and four, um, with a save percentage of 0.886 and a GAA of 3.90. But he was decent the last couple of games. Um, and then, uh, we also have this guy named Colin Delia, um, who only played one game, but he only allowed one goal. Um, I believe it was against the, it wasn't the Predators. It, it was, was against Colorado. It was against Colorado. So that's impressive in itself because, you know, you have in and McKinnon, um, and Landeskog all, um all being you know a one two three punch there yeah,
0: last, last so, year it was uh last year colin delia was the guy that got hurt and scott foster
1: had to come right in yeah in so
0: against winnipeg and, and now he's
1: the guy that uh gave yeah. up one goal and
0: 36 shots against the abs
1: yeah so um so it's impressive there um still I obviously i don't think they're gonna make the playoffs um because they're too far gone now but Uh, I did want to mention those stats that there's still like some decent players around there that, uh, you know, uh, could like they gave the Colorado Avalanche a run for their money, even though they're, you know, they could be good spoilers, I feel like, um, even though they're going to be in the top 10 or probably the top five. I mean, the bottom five um, when all said is done, when all is said and done. Well, you, you take a look
0: at the record on October the 29th. It was 6-3-3. Even then, uh, they were fourth in the Central, 41 goals for, 43 goals against. Um, they had this uh, interesting practice routine at the start of the year where they used like, hockey mannequins on the ice. And yeah. That, that worked for a time, but just like Quinville's bag of tricks, um, that lost the magic uh, pretty quickly. And As good as Colleton's resume is, um, whether or not Corey Crawford's in net, and we found out this year, it doesn't make a difference whether or not he's in net. Right. The Hawks are still a pretty bad team. I mean, um, Kane has 44 points in 38 games. That's great. Leads the team. 16 goals and 32 points for Taze. That's great for him because in the previous years, he wasn't doing all that well. Uh, to bring it 17 goals and 31 points. Then you look at Brandon Saad, who's 11 points behind a Brinket. Yeah, he's the fourth. He's the fourth highest scorer on the team. Um, like you said, Duncan Keith, no goals. Gustafson actually leads all defensemen with eight goals and 18 points, and that's good if he is, you know, your third or fourth best defenseman. He's playing like their best defenseman. Yeah, he's playing. Be- He's got better offensive stats than Seabrook. He's got better stats than Keith, who's won the Norris in previous years. This is a team that has the second worst power play, has the worst penalty kill, sits in a tie with the sentence for most goals against with 144. Yep. Um, they're tied for the third highest shots against per game average. Um, they've led eight times after 40 minutes. 10 of their losses have been by 3 or more goals. They're 3, 17, and 2 when the other team scores first. They've scored the 7th most goals in the first period, but they've surrendered the most in the same frame.
1: Yeah,
0: I think we're going to see a big teardown if they don't get either Jack Hughes or Alexis Lafreniere, because uh, at, th- at this rate, um, the Hawks are heading in a downward spiral yep. and unless they get a top end talent in either this year's draft or next year's draft, it's only gonna get worse.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the good news is that they still have, you know, Joki jo- Haru has been pretty good, although he's gonna be loaned to Finland um, for the World Juniors, so they're not gonna have him for a bit, but um, you know, they still, ha- you know, uh, they drafted Adam Bockfist, and then they have Nicholas Boudwin as well, who they uh, drafted um, last year. So um, they still have a couple of defensemen um, around. Uh, DeBrincat and um, Kane have been kind of like one of the best players, two of the best players in the in the league. um, Even still, with like their defensive woes, so I find that impressive. Whenever a player can still like put up points, even when their team is bad, um, so so I find that impressive. But yeah, I think I think in the grand scheme of things, I think they're kind of like forced to rebuild, and they're going to be in trouble if they don't get at least a top three pick and then one of the next two drafts. Um, Preferably so. a
0: forward, and the reason I say a forward is like. Like I just mentioned, like the top three scores, and then there's that big of a difference yep. from the third highest score and the fourth highest score on the True. team. Like, they need another offensive weapon that's not going to break the bank, and the only way they can get that is through a top three pick.
1: Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I was thinking that they, they need a goalie so that they can replace uh Corey Crawford when yeah, he ultimately probably, retires but, but you're not gonna get that in the top three picks true true <laughs> although maybe that. Spencer Knight I guess but yeah no you're right um in that sense um okay uh let's go to our rapid fire which speaking of the world juniors um so I as I mentioned last week I usually don't um Follow. I started following the World Juniors about a couple of years ago. So, uh, but Steve is more knowledgeable about this stuff than I am. But I do know, that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't know some key players to watch. Um, and who do you really want to see? So, I'll. I guess I'll start off, and then you can talk about some players that you want to watch and want to see. Um, so I like my favorite parts about the the World Juniors is. Um so I'll start with who do I really want to see um I, my favorite part is just seeing the draft eligible guys um and the, that's uh so this year it's Jack Hughes from uh America USA he's going to be playing with his brother Quinn Hughes who's also on team USA um Kako Kakko um from Finland um that's going to be he's projected to be I think some are saying that he might be able to surpass Jack Hughes if he has a strong World Juniors, but he's kind of like a Patrick Linea to Austin Jack Hughes is Austin Matthews in a way, um, especially because one's a Finnish winger and the other's an American center. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. I mentioned Spencer Knight just a couple day uh, a couple of minutes ago. Um, he I, I got to see him and Jack Hughes uh, a couple months ago. And Spencer Knight, uh, when they played like an exhibition game, the US uh, national development team uh, played Harvard for an exhibition game. Um, and I saw Jack Hughes and Spencer Knight. And Spencer Knight was incredible, that game. So I, I kind of want to see uh, how he does against, um, against like that's also my favorite part about the world juniors is like, this is like the, the only time we'll see like the top prospects play each other um, or be on the same team as each other. So I kind of like, I want to see if Spencer Knight can actually, um, you know, make some saves and be a good goaltender. Cause I feel like that's going to be the key for the U S is if, if you have a good goaltender, cause I feel like they're going to be strong up front. Uh, they have Quinn Hughes on defense but there, you know, those, uh, like, if we get goaltending, I think we can seriously make it uh, to be like a, a goal. We can make it to the gold medal game at least. Um, Spencer Knight. And then you mentioned Alexis Lafreniere when we were talking about the Blackhawks. Um, he's, a, he's reportedly going to be playing for Canada. He was kind of the, he's kind of been this phenom because he was like 16 years old when he's been on the QMJHL. Uh, so he's going to be a draft eligible next year. But it's impressive that he was able to make the team considering how stacked Canada usually is with, um, in these tournaments. So I kind of want to see. Um, I don't know if how much ice time he's going to get. Um, but I am curious to see uh, where he goes um, or how he does um, with like players that are much older than him. Because, um, like, you know, he's kind of, like, hyped to be, like, this McDavid Crosby kind of level of hype. So um, I'd be interested to see how he, he does and if he lives to that hype.
0: Yeah. Um, honestly, probably one of my most favorite times of the year when it's Christmas time. I'm excited for Boxing Day, mostly because that's when this uh, tournament gets underway yep. and we really get to see what some of these guys are made of. Um, of course Alexis Lafreniere is going to be the guy to watch on Team Canada and Team Canada is missing quite a few key pieces of course Carter Hart won't be back uh, this year uh, Drake Batherson is too old he can't play um, Gabe Velarde is out due to injury Alex Formington, uh sends prospect yeah. could have been team captain material if he played uh, he's out due to injury Um, So there are going to be opportunities uh, for guys like Alexis Lafreniere to show their stuff. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does in his first world junior. I don't expect him to light the lamp uh, because it's his first world junior. Um, I think um, he's probably going to make more of a statement next year, but I would love if he made a statement this year and Canada wins gold again. But um, we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, Mike DiPietro, of course, Yep. Um, everyone's talked uh, about him in the OHL. Um, we haven't seen him play at the world junior level yet. Um, I think he's going to do well, um, and I'll be uh, keeping a close eye on him as uh, the now Ottawa 67's goaltender uh, makes his, uh, I, I think, his, his first big test um on uh, the international stage for canada so uh, ho- hopefully uh, he rises to the occasion like he has in previous challenges um everyone's talking about jack hughes on uh, the american team and his brother quentin and uh spencer knight and that's all well and good but they have a lot of other interesting players to watch out for oliver wallstrom is
1: one of them yep I was going to mention him. Um, another player that's worth watching,
0: hopefully, is Sense prospect Josh Norris, who's involved in the Eric Carlson trade. Yep. I'm interested to see what he can do. And um, don't sleep on this uh, Jason Robertson guy. 30-goal uh, scorer in the OHL already
1: uh, with uh, Kingston and Niagara. He's a Dallas pick, right? Uh, I can't remember which team drafted him, I'll look if he's even been
0: drafted. But... Uh, He's on the Americans. Yeah,
1: and he's he on Dallas. Yeah. A,
0: a very deadly goal scorer
1: for them. Dallas signed him, but he wasn't drafted. Okay. So uh
0: yeah, Jason Roberts yeah. uh, Dallas Stars uh, prospect. Um, and if we're be interesting to see how he does.
1: And if we're talking since maybe it's just me cuz we're talking about we we were just talking about Chicago and the Rangers, but uh Keandre Miller Yep. Yeah. Um, he uh, he was uh the Rangers draft pick last this year. Um he's he has 17 points in 18 games for Wisconsin this year which is like very good for a defenseman especially uh like a freshman um, and um and it's in college. Um and also the other one uh Evan Barrett Barrett um, he goes to Penn State, but he's a Chicago Blackhawks player. He has 29 points in 17 games, which is kind of a, an amazing feat for him, especially for a guy who hasn't been signed yet. But um, Evan Barat looks like he could be uh, decent this year and make some noise. Um, other players, I don't know if you were done with uh, g- guys who could break out all right, guys. I
0: do I do have a few other players okay. that I'm interested to watch from the European standpoint. Erasmus Sandine, um, Maple Leaf's uh defensive prospect. Yep. Um he's gonna be playing for Team Sweden. Uh, Eric Brandstrom, uh another Swedish defenseman, he's a Vegas pick.
1: Yep. Um so it'll be interesting to see what he does. Um Philip Zadina playing for the Czech Republic. The Czechs yep. could be one I have of the teams.
0: And um, I don't know if you heard, but
1: uh, Preds have loaned Ely Tolben oh, yeah. to the finish team. So, yeah, that should be cool too. Uh, yeah, I have Zadina. I'm just going to finish off here. Uh, Zadina, Philip uh, Hedel is also going to be loaned to uh, the Czech team. Uh, Jacob um as well. The Czech has a, a goalie there that he, he could be pretty good. Um, Vitaly Kraftsoff um, he's been killing it in the KHL. He's a Rangers pick. I was going to mention, uh, Oliver Wallstrom. I mentioned Quinn Hughes before too. And then the last one that I have, uh, is Joel Farabee. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's another, uh, player that could make some noise. Yeah, he's fans. been, uh, yeah. he's been decent in BU, but, uh, I kind of want to see, um, how he he does um, in you know the regular you know against all these other prospects um, do you want to give your picks for who's gonna get gold silver and bronze
0: oh boy uh, I think I think Finland is gonna get bronze Finland uh, I think Canada's going to get silver, and mm-hmm. I'm going with the Americans to win it all.
1: Wow, okay. Um, I, think, I
0: think I think the Americans have enough depth to take down Canada. It's obviously not going to be um, yeah. a lopsided affair. I think it's going to be tight, but uh, I, I, I think they have enough offensive depth to get the job done. Yeah. But I remember a couple of tournaments ago, I picked Finland to do well, and they ended up doing one of the worst in the whole pack.
1: So yeah.
0: um, these predictions mean absolutely nothing so and that's <laughs> yeah. what makes this tournament so fun to watch you're you know,
1: playing some fun. reverse psychology on me now yeah. so you're like oh, canada's not that good um and in that sense i was gonna put canada and usa um as gold and silver i was gonna put canada as gold and usa silver because i feel like canada always wins um these kind of things so um like i know in the past- but yeah.
0: it's, it's been so narrow. They don't win it as often as they did. And and the reason I'm hesitant to put Canada in gold is as, as much talent as they do have. Yeah. They're missing a lot of veteran leadership that they had last they still, year. They had Carter Hart returning. Yeah. Uh, they had Drake Batherson and Alex formanton They yeah. don't have any of those guys. They still have a
1: decent amount of players, though. Well, like they do. Uh, they, they have enough talent to offset yeah. it. It's just like, the experience. Factor, how much of it is going to be Evan last year's team to help them carry over. Yeah, like Evan Bouchard, Noah Dobson, Jared uh, McIsaac, Ty Smith, their, their defense looks very uh, uh, Cody Glass, Barrett, uh, Shane Bowers could be something, uh, Jack Seneca, my favorite player, uh, Owen Tippett, you know, Joseph Villano, uh Nick Suzuki, those all could be, you know, those are all good players. Alex Formington, as you mentioned, so Um, I think, I feel like they have enough depth even still, um, so I'm gonna say they're gonna get gold. I do like the U.S. chances, um, of winning Group B, so I'm gonna give them silver. Um, and then bronze, I'm gonna say, uh, is gonna be the Czech Republic. Um, I feel like they could be a sneaky team that could be, uh, something, especially when they have Zadina, um, uh, those, Nikesh, uh, could be something as well. So, and Jacob Blackow, who is a Bruins second round pick. Um, so I, I kind of want to see how they do. I feel like they could, uh, make some noise. Um, yeah, maybe Finland as well, but, or Russia, I feel like I wouldn't be surprised about that, but, um, Yeah. Uh, Any other thoughts on the World Juniors before we uh, go to other stories? Um,
0: I I just hope Kazakhstan wins the game.
1: Yeah. I remember when they played in the Ottawa tournament.
0: I remember they were in um, in the a game in the three game series against Latvia to to make sure that uh, they didn't uh, go into the relegation round. And um, it read on the scoreboard that Kazakhstan won, and the whole building went nuts. Yeah, wow. And there was an, I think it was a semifinal game between Canada and Russia where the entire Kazakhstan team was in the building and uh, everyone gave them a nice big ovation. So I hope, I hope they stun
1: somebody and, and they win at least one game. Yeah. Uh, Matt Dumba. So now we're going to injuries. Matt Dumba has uh, an upper body injury. It looks like he's going to have surgery next week. Um, so uh, so he might be out for a long, but it looks like he's out indefinitely. It's it's unclear when he'll be back. Um, but yeah, that's a big loss for them. But it looks here that that's the only injury the Minnesota Wild have. So um, I feel like Minnesota Wild are one of those teams that like always have injuries. So um, at least... At least that's good news. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it's just tough for, for Matt Dumma because if you remember that game against Calgary where he hit Backlund yeah. and everyone on Calgary was best with him about it. And then he goes, uh, and then the following time uh, those two teams fuck up, 40 seconds into the game he fights Mack of Chuck. Yep. Yeah. And he plays five minutes, 30 sec- thir- 5 minutes 37 seconds of ice time over six shifts. Uh, doesn't come out for the second period, doesn't come out for the third period. And then we find out, oh, it's only going to be one week. And then we find out, OK, it's a significant amount of time right. and he's going to need surgery. Um, but what really, really hurts is the fact that he was on track to have a monster campaign.
1: Yeah, um, no, he was I playing pretty well. His previous high for goals in the season was 14. He has 12 already
0: this year. He has 22 points in 32 games, 12 power play points, six power play goals. Um, He needs one more power play point to surpass his career high, one more power play goal to surpass his career high, two goals to tie his personal best, like I said. And his average time on ice per game has gone down a bit from last year, yet he's still the second most used defenseman on the team as far as average time on ice per game goes. Um, Like I said, a monster year and it just sucks that it comes at this time because he was just really finding his game. Like he, he was playing on another level that he hadn't previously yep. and, uh, on a personal level, on a team level. It sucks for Matt. Dumbledore.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Max Pacioretty is injured, but it looks like according to Gerard Galan, he was, isn't expected to be out for long. Um, so, so there's that. Also, I saw that Colin Miller won't play. Um, he's day-to-day. It looks like he has an undisclosed injury. So, uh, so those are two key injuries for the Golden Knights um, there.
0: Yeah, it says that Max Patch ready at eight goals in 15 November games, but he's gone goalless in seven December games.
1: Yeah. Uh, Brian Elliott, he has been injured for a while but um, it looks like he is uh, considered to be more, he's not expected to return by January 1st. Um, he is mo- ex- considered to be more than week to week after he had a relapse on the road trip. He hasn't played since November 15th. Um, so um, so he's gonna be out for a longer time than we all thought um, that he was gonna be.
0: And it it makes you wonder if uh, his future with the the Flyers is in jeopardy now because he's playing the final year of his contract right now. There's no guarantees that he is brought back into the fold. And if Carter Hart continues to play well, um, he could be trade bait by February if he's healthy.
1: Yep. Uh, Looks like Zach Hyman has an ankle injury. Um, He's going to miss three weeks of action. Um, So uh, there's that. Um... And then we also have um, Jamie Olesiak has a concussion. Um, the, I, I mentioned this one just mostly because what happened was Tom Wilson uh, fought him like a minute into the game uh, on Wednesday. Um, and uh, Tom Wilson basically concussed him uh, just from that fight. Um, and you know, I have to, as weird as it sounds, I don't usually like fighting. I don't really like Tom Wilson still, but I do have to give him kudos for at least, um, at least fighting. Uh, cause usually when a guy does a questionable hit, they don't like, they just turtle- shy away from actually fighting someone else. And, uh, Tom Wilson is, uh, is a bad man. So, uh, it's not someone you want to mess with. Um, so, uh, I, I have to respect him for at least, Showing up because that was a thing that after Tom Wilson hit Zach Aston Reese uh, illegally um, and eventually got suspended for uh, something. Yeah, I believe Alexiax wanted to fight Tom Wilson. So, um, and then Wilson wouldn't do it because, you know, it's the playoffs, you know, so the the Capitals need him more than the Penguins needed Alexiax. But um, so I think that was part of it so then it was just like okay so good for Tom Wilson to answer the bell um but now it's just like oh it's kind of ironic that now like Tom Wilson has concussed two Penguins players now um so uh there's that
0: yeah and what's interesting about I you talk about uh the penguins, not needing Alexiak. He's actually played a pretty big role for them as far as defensive depth goes. He's been pretty good. Um, he had 17 points last year, but he has 11 points in 32 games this year. Um, providing decent minutes for them, um, provides grit, sticks up for his teammates. Um, and he's a pretty big, heavy hitter. Like he, he, he knocked the wind out of Dustin Bufflin, which is very hard to do. So, um, De- definitely something uh that uh maybe the penguins are going to miss and and uh, hopefully it's it's one of those things where um he's not out for long because like like we've said with concussions you don't know how uh you don't know how players are going to react they might be back in a week they might be back in two uh, two weeks or two months yep. or they could be back in a couple of days you just never know
1: yep Klingberg uh so in good news Klingberg returned uh he's only played three games so far um and only has one assist but uh at least it's you know he's back on the ice I assume it'll take some time for him to get back to his old self but um it's good to see that he's uh back at it um yeah um Regarding regarding
0: Klingberg, just taking a look at his stats: uh, six shots in three games, uh, one assist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just a matter of uh, getting his feet wet and and getting his confidence back. And yep. um, I think the Christmas break is going to do him some good. And uh, you're going to see the usual John Klingberg uh, once play uh, yeah. gets back up again. In, in 2019, more specifically, I don't I don't think uh, you're really going to see him. Uh, kick it into high gear until, you know, again, he gets the workload back up again because, you know, resting for a couple of days, you know, you're not on the ice, you're not in game situations. So I think it's going to take him a bit more time uh, to start looking like John Klingberg again, but um, I think the best is yet to come for him. And uh, that's good for Dallas because uh, he makes the team a lot better.
1: Yep. Um, And then we have uh, Kovalchuk also returned. Um it's kind of interesting cuz I'm looking at his game log here. So he's only played 2 games. Uh he still has low ice minutes. Um so he had uh 13 minutes his first game back and then 12 minutes the next game. Um and he had 2 goals in his first game in 13 minutes and 6 shots.
0: Yeah, he had, he had 6 shots. In yeah.
1: Minutes. Against yeah. the Sharks and then he had an assist against Vegas um, like the next day. So, um, and one shot, but, um, it's just impressive that he's able to, uh, still be good even when he doesn't have a ton of time. Um, I wonder if, I wonder if this is going to mean that eventually, uh, Desjardins is going to give him more ice time if he can, um, once he's fully healthy, but it looks like he's pretty healthy if he had two goals in 13 minutes of ice. Um, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think time away from the ice also kind of helped him just based on the rut that he was in. Yeah. like He was a point a game player in his first 14 games. Then I think he went like 9 or 10 games without a point, and then he got hurt and had to miss a couple of weeks. And I think, um, in hindsight, you know, you hate to miss time uh, as a hockey player uh, on the IR, but um, I think this the IR stint, uh, couldn't have come at a better time for Kolachuk considering he was in such a tough spot uh, right. ice time wise goal scoring wise. lot um i think maybe it helped clear his head a little bit and when he got back on the ice he could just go back to doing his thing and uh three points in two games um a pretty good start i would say
1: yep um and then lastly we have eric carlson uh got suspended two games for a check to the head um this was um I didn't really see it, but I think it's just—it's just interesting because a guy like Eric Carlson is known for um, being dirty like this. So, um, so it's, I guess it's something. If it's a check to the head, it's you know I guess that that, that will do it for you. you Honestly, get it didn't that. look that bad
0: at first, but uh, when I saw it in slow motion, I could kind of see yep. why they gave him two games. Um, Austin Wagner, the Kings, is skating up ice a little bit. He has the puck doesn't alter his head uh he doesn't alter the position of his head uh and carlson cuts in front of him tries to get wagner's shoulder ends up making contact with uh, wagner's head and i don't care if it's intentional hit to the head making contact to the head is contact to the head and if you wanted to separate the man from the puck i think there could have been other ways of doing that um, this play was very, very risky. Wagner could have easily been hurt. And um, for a guy that's only been fined once in over 600 NHL games, I think two games was enough. I think Eric Carlson is a guy that plays the game right. He's not a dirty player. Um, he's he's going to move on and learn from this. But um, I, when I saw it in slow motion, I'm just thinking, you know, hit to the head, hit to the head, even if yep. you – didn't try and purposely make contact you still hit him in the head um, you shouldn't be suspended and yep. uh and he was. On the nhl for saying that precedence that even if you're an all-star defenseman uh you're held to the same standard as everyone else
1: yep uh we sort of have time but we don't really uh but i do <laughs> kind of want to talk about these two things um berglin uh, so just to update on the story that we talked about last week uh, Patrick Berglund was placed on unconditional waivers, which I didn't really understand as something that you could do, because uh, now he's just no longer on the team. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really understand why he, uh, like, how it could happen, because then, like, all of a sudden, you could, what's stopping you from, from the Bruins from, like, putting, like, David Backus on the on the, uh, conditional unconditional waivers um just because it's a bad contract but um I guess it's something when I was doing more research I guess it's something that because Berglund wasn't going to practice and he kind of like breached the contract it's kind of like a like both sides were like okay this isn't working for us but it did a lot of favors for the Sabres because he was making about like uh, three million, and all that money could, uh, be used to pay Jeff Skinner. Um, I think they also have a couple of other guys that, um, they're like I think. Yeah, so, uh, sorry. So there's Matt Molson at five Matt million. Wilson? There's Berglund who's three point eight five million. Yeah. And there's also
0: Palmerville at five point six million. They're just like, well, he's still
1: on the team. Right. Yes, but he's an unrestricted free agent at the
0: end of this year, five point six million on his next deal. Yeah. Field.
1: So they could, Maybe, they could he afford he to... Did
0: that over two years, but he's not...
1: Right, so they could afford to pay Jeff Skinner his money, but they could also uh, afford to even go further and improve their team by getting another guy yeah, possibly, as well. Yeah. Um, Rick Jenner... Speaking of the Sabres as well, Rick Jennerette, um was hospitalized in the mid-game um reportedly he's okay um but it was definitely scary he's i like i i've never really watched a sabers home game like that but so um with with rj announcing but i've heard he's like an electric um announcer so um hopefully he's okay and is healthy um coming back but um yeah it's uh it was definitely a shocker when i saw that it's like oh god (laughs) hopefully he's okay um, yeah, the, could have been worse the same,
0: um, just uh, I was uh, taking a listen at the play-by-play and it is his voice wasn't a hundred percent and and then you just hear seconds of silence yep no play-by-play whatsoever and eight seconds go by and then you hear Rob Ray but you don't hear Rick's voice and uh, it was later found it was later revealed that he felt lightheaded um, he received medical treatment uh, taken on a stretcher to hospital um, right now there's no timetable for him to be back in the broadcast booth but um, he says the heart is fine it's just that he felt a little lightheaded so uh, um, it, it's it's definitely scary for a guy in his mid 70s to still be calling hockey games and have that happen to him mid game but yeah. uh, glad it, it, was, it was just feeling lightheaded and nothing more serious
1: okay I forgot to check, uh, yeah, uh, all the, we wish all the best to Rick Jennerette. Um We're going to the Bruin Send segment here now. Um, I forgot to check who's who's going first this week. Um, I think it's you, because I went first last week, but I'm not 100% sure. Did you go first last uh, week?
0: I think maybe I did this week
1: okay i'll i'll go first then i think i
0: might have yeah okay, okay. yeah you can go first
1: that's fine. uh so uh the bruins play the canadians um it was kind of a it was a good game for uh for this because uh uh this was um bergeron wasn't back yet but um it was nice you know it's always nice when the bruins can easily beat the uh canadians Um, It was kind of a hard-fought game though having said all that to the the Canadians they played well It was just the Bruins got all the all the goals Um, Nordstrom got a goal Colby Cave, Krejci and then Marshawn all scored. So it was nice to see depth out there Uh, Krejci's been uh, unbelievable in Bergeron's absence. So um, it was uh, nice to see that Um, then, um, on Thursday, the Bruins played Anaheim. Um, this was also a game where Halak started. Um, by the way, Halak's played, uh, three of the four games, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, so I guess they were giving rest, some rest. Um, and, uh, anyways, so they played Anaheim. Uh, Pasternak gets things going in the second, um, he scores. Um, it was a nice tic-tac-toe play uh, from Krug and Bacchus. And then Tori Krug, oh, that was another tic-tac-toe play, um, gets a power play goal from Brad Marchand and Pasternak. Um, and then in the third period, Krejci scores. Um, and so, uh, but then Josh Mahora, um gets a gold at the third in the end of the third period so it wasn't all um it wasn't a shutout there but um that was that uh we also so then between this time and the nashville game we find out that bergeron chara and kevin miller and Debrusque all uh played in practice um we were unsure about when they would all turn the table, but it was a nice moment to see that, like, you know, our injury bug may not last a whole lot, and that's further proof when we found out that Bergeron, uh, got to play in the Nashville game, and not only that, he uh, he got two goals. Um, so he got the first period. He got a goal in the first period. Um, in the second period, Ryan Johansson. Um, scored it was kind of a it was a kind of a soft goal but not really Um, and then in the third period was when all the scoring happened Patrice Bergeron scores um, from Dannen Heinen and Pasternak Um, that was his 300th career goal by the way Um, also Krejci had his 600th career point um, against the uh, the um, Anaheim Ducks Um, so it was nice to see those two centers get some milestones this weekend or this week. Um, Kyle Turris scores, Brad Marchand gets a goal then and then Pasternak gets a nice goal um, and then Sean Corrali gets an empty netter. Um, It was kind of like an interesting game I know the the Predators are also dealing with a a lot of injuries especially Especially on their forward side with Forsberg and Arvidsson being out, but um, it was still like, you know, it was a good confidence booster that we get this uh, guy named Pass uh, Bergeron back. Um, I'm thankful for him. It was like a Christmas miracle, basically. Um, and he was uh, he was around. Uh, McAvoy was amazing this uh, this game. He's played. He's been incredible this week. Um, I think he had like six hits in against Montreal, which is amazing. Um, it was like it wasn't even like the third period yet either. So um, he's been amazing. Um, and then um, yeah, so it was nice to see that. And they also uh, took my advice from last week, where uh, uh, it was like the lines were Bergeron, Marchand, and um, Nordstrom. And then uh, oh no, it was Heinen. And then Nordstrom, Krejci, and Pasternak. Um, I'd still like to see Donato on one of those two lines, um, but I, I, w- I was glad that they were able to split those four up um, and make it like kind of like a national kind of thing where the Czechs are playing together and the uh, Canadians are playing together. Um, I Ultimately, I would w- like to see Donato um, w- playing with Bergeron and Marchand, and then you have DeBrusque playing on the left side with Pasternak and... Uh, Krejci, but you know Dubrovsk is injured, um, um, and maybe we'll see more of Donato after this next game that I'm about to recap. But um, that was cool to see. Um, So yeah, then uh, the next day they play the Bruins played Carolina. Uh, Carolina was Uh, no, they didn't. They, They they played they played the Hartford Whalers. Right, right, right. I was about to mention they played the. By the way, I could go on a rant about this, but we're kind of short for time, so I won't. But um, I I just want to say that I feel bad for all the Hartford Whaler fans out there. It was purely disrespectful to them. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, it was a nice uniform. I I do like the uniforms, but I, I find it so disgraceful to, to like to the whole like they literally took the team from them. It's just and then they're like they're playing them. It's just like. It's like, you know, haven't the, the city of Hartford suffered enough? It's, It seemed crazy to me. And my dad was making the point, it's like, it would be one thing if they were playing in Boston, um, which apparently they're going to wear these uh, the next time uh, they play in Boston. But, like, they were in Harford, they were in Carolina. So it's just like, who who's bothering this? It's like, I know... Is, is, I, I is guess it, it'd be the equivalent if the, the Phoenix Coyotes or the Arizona yeah. Coyotes is now they're called um, busted out yeah. old Winnipeg Jets attire Winnipeg Or like, or like if like the Oklahoma City Thunder decided to wear Seattle gear for some reason, you know, it's yeah. just, um, it was just nuts. Um, and then also to make matters worse, uh, Jack Edwards went on an all time rant because uh, Dougie Hamilton was wearing the number 19 and this, um, it was, uh, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but he, uh, the, the guy who, that number was retired on the, um, on the, uh, uh, that guy was retired, on the Hartford Whalers side. Oh, John McKenzie is his name. Uh, he was John McKenzie had died in the, uh, in the summer. Um, but he played for the Whalers. His number was retired, but like the Carolina hurricanes did not retire the number 19 and that, that's Dougie Hamilton's number. So it's like a dis um, the amount of disrespect that you have for them to not even like change the numbers uh just for one game for this it just seems ridiculous so, so it's like if you're going to be hartford whatever but like you know at least respect that aspect of things like yeah, don't you respect know the history, yeah, yeah I, so I, I see
0: i see where you're getting with that i was just yeah. more insane because i got to see arford whaler's colors but i didn't realize yeah um the the the, the back story uh, to the franchise. It's important, well, I guess, to know the franchise that you stole from. Right, franchise.
1: exactly. And it's also like uh, Peter Carmanos, who was the former owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, he used to uh, take, uh, he like literally moved them to Carolina. Um, and, you know, Hartford Whalers had like a historic franchise. It's just like, you know, with the Brass Bonanza I mean, they weren't a great team or anything, but, you know, it's just, it's just, like, it, it felt like, it felt like it was just weird that, like, like, it felt, it's just tone deaf, I guess. Anyways, uh, back to the game. Um, I did say that I wasn't going to get into it, and then I get into it. Um, <laughs> uh, Ryan Donato gets a goal from Tory Krug and Brad Marchand. He's been, like, like he's been pretty good uh he hasn't gotten the goals and the assists just yet but it was like it was nice to see that he uh he uh, later got another goal but it was nice to see that he's like his uh his hard work has uh paid off I think there was like one game where he had like six shots on goal and none of them went in so uh good for him Stephen Kampser also scores a goal but that's when uh, things start to uh Become the Tevo Teravainen and Sebastian Aho show uh, because uh, T- Teravainen gets a goal from Aho and Jacob Sleven. and then in the second period Aho gets two goals, both assists from Teravainen. One of them was shorthanded. handed um, Justin Fulk gets in on the on the stuff too, um, and then Ryan Donato scores again to make it four three, but then by that point it was just like. It wasn't, it wasn't close. And then Tara Vienin scores, scores um, in the third period, a shorthanded goal. Um, so, um, so yeah, there was two shorthanded goals, Sebastian Ajo and Tara Vienin both had four points. Um, so they were both, um, they were both pretty good. This is one of those games where it was just like, you know, we just stopped playing in the second period basically. Um, and um, it was just like not a good show. Um, at all um, I'm, I'm glad Ryan Donato played well um, I would be more upset if we didn't uh, beat Nashville uh, the night before so or the day before so but this is kind of a game that I feel like especially now that Bergeron's back you, there's no excuses anymore um, anyways uh, there's that Uh, The Bruins play on Thursday against the Devils, Uh, they play the Sabres on Saturday um, and then they don't play anymore until the new year so um, those uh, those could be interesting games for sure though Um, and then other news that I I don't know if I mentioned I think I did Jackson Nick I was talking about last week he did make the uh, the Canadian team Um, So I look forward to seeing him, even if if he's on the third line or fourth line. I do look forward to seeing him play. Uh, Jacob Lackow, who was the... um, I feel like I was pronouncing that. He was um, the 2018 second-round pick for the Bruins. Uh, He made the Czech pick. uh, He made the Czech team. Um, If he's anything like other Bruins second-round picks or other Bruins Czech players that they draft... Um, He should be pretty good in a couple of years. Apparently, I was reading some scouting reports that he's like very speedy too. So um, he could be like, he can make a name for himself with this tournament. And then Kyle Kaiser, um, he's a goalie. He made the US team, although I don't expect him to uh, be a goalie because I think Spencer Knight and Caden Primu will probably get most of the games. Um so but it is kind of cool that we have a goalie there too, um who made the team. Uh other things I mentioned that Charlie DeBrusk and Miller all practice and Jamel Smith uh was put on waivers. Um I I think he's in the AHL now. Um Yeah, yeah, he, he, so,
0: he's in the AHL now. Yeah.
1: So all in all, I'm uh I I'm glad that Bergeron's back. Um, we have some depth and now all we need is Debrusk, Chara, and Kevin Miller to be back and then, and then we're ready to roll. So, uh, so good things are coming soon. Hopefully with this break coming up that we, uh, we get some people healthy. Um, but it's, it's good to have Bergeron back for sure.
0: Uh, some good things to start coming to the Sens way in 2019 because uh, 2018 has had its fair share of bumps in the road. Um, we'll get to some more off ice headlines because uh, what wouldn't be a Sens segment without some off ice news? But uh, let's get to what happened to this week first. Uh, shockingly, the Sens uh, against the Preds—at least not early—they were up two nothing in the first five minutes and. 22 seconds. 12 seconds left in the first period, the single score, of course, it's 3 nothing. and because they're a good team, and Ottawa's a bottom 10 team that only got 12 shots on them the rest of the way, but um, it's obviously not a shocker. I was expecting a, a pushback from Nashville, uh, but Ottawa did hold their own to at least get it to overtime. Uh, what did shock me was Thomas Chabot's game-winning move on Ryan Johansson in overtime it was absolutely gorgeous, uh, as well as the fact that Bobby Ryan and Kyle Turris actually fought, actually dropped the gloves, actually threw some punches, uh, something that I never thought I'd see in my wildest dreams. Uh, Chris Tierney also led uh, all senator skaters with five shots on goal. He's playing a good two-way role with the team. Um, so there's a good progress in that regard as well. Um, and um, it was announced in the following days after that game that uh, Drake Batherson was uh, sent down to Belleville. Um, gone through a bit of a rough patch on the score sheet late. So uh, maybe just a case of getting the confidence back. We'll see how he does uh, in Bell. Uh, the Sens then go to New Jersey on a Friday night. It quickly turned into a strange game, though. Uh, Craig Anderson did not finish the contest. He gave up five goals and 25 shots. Mike McKenna came in for the third period. The fourth goal was especially tough because the Sens were actually inches away from making it a 3-2 game. Um, but a pair of doubles defenders barely cut the puck out of Kincaid's net. And then a hardworking Mark Stone tries to cut in. Puck hits escape, The Devils go down the ice in transition. Paul Mary sets a fall, next thing you know, it's 4-1 Devils instead of a 3-2 lead. So um, that that being said, hard luck aside, I don't think the effort level was anywhere where it needed to be to result in at least a point. So uh, perhaps the Sens deserved to lose that game anyway. Uh, the next night, uh, Sens gets shut up 4-0 by Washington. But um, I thought the effort level was better. Uh, Mike McKenna early on, he looked solid. Uh, Nick Paul, in my opinion, Nick Paul played arguably his best game as an Ottawa Senator. He was creating offensive chances. He was making hits. Um, Brady could score shots in Ovechkin. Uh, he had seven. Ove had six through 60 minutes. Um, so like I said, there are positives to take away from this result. Uh, they didn't score on Phoenix Copley on 35 shots, but um at least, you know, against a very good team uh, the night after a rough outing in New Jersey, they come home, they respond, they play decent, they don't get the result, but they they give the fans something to cheer about at least. Um, speaking of stuff to cheer about, Matt Duchesne back in the lineup, Dylan DeMello back in the lineup, Mark Korbetsky back in the lineup. So the Sens are getting healthy. Unfortunately, uh, with every bit of good news that comes his way, it comes at a cost because Craig Anderson is now dealing with an upper body injury. Uh, we don't know if he's going to start the first game after the Christmas break, but um, I think it comes at a good time because he's resting up right now over the holidays. The, 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 this team needs him to be at his best in the second half, no question about it. So hopefully um, these next couple of days give him enough rest and he's able to not miss a beat uh, when things uh, get back up and running. Uh, They're in action twice this week uh, in New York for a date with the Islanders. Friday night, they they travel back home after that Friday night tilt to face the Washington Capitals for another home game on Saturday night. So uh, for two straight Saturdays, um, the uh, Caps and the Sens are going to be playing at the CTC. Um, hopefully round two goes better than round one did and then we go to the off news because wait wait
1: before you before you do um, I uh, well first off I wanted to comment that it's unusual to have tourists and uh, Bobby Ryan fight like that I wonder if there was like maybe they just didn't get along when they were teammates well, or something. Um,
0: yeah. So what happened was apparently uh, Kyle Turris took a whack at Bobby Ryan's hands, and Bobby didn't like that.
1: Oh. So yeah. Oh, because Kyle Turris probably knew yeah, that he was having hands.
0: Story. Uh... Yeah. There was a reason why Bobby Ryan dropped the gloves. It wasn't like they were. Yeah. They, they they had a sour relationship as teammates. I uh, in fact, Bobby Ryan described uh, his relationship with Turris as cordial. Yeah. So it, it wasn't it wasn't like they hated each other's guts. Or right. It wasn't like they didn't okay. talk a lot. It's just that. Kyle Tourist did something that he probably should have known, and Bobby didn't like, and Bobby mm. stuck up for himself.
1: Also, get tired of getting one on the hands. That's what happens. Also, I'm gonna, gonna for by the uh, next by the new year, I'm gonna start a campaign to get uh, Shabbat to be a Norris Trophy candidate. Because if he's not a Norris Trophy you're candidate, with that, eh? if he's not a Norris Trophy candidate, I uh, I think there's something wrong with this world. So. <laughs> Or that that award, so yeah. I feel like people if, are because if, be, if, if he played on
0: a team not named the Ottawa Senators, with yeah. that kind of reputation. I think I think what
1: kills the him. Right. I think what kills him is that the Ottawa Senators are the, like one of the worst defensive teams in a long time. So it's like yeah. it's that it's that argument, but like at the same time, like Eric Carlson won Norris Trophy uh, stuff when like he wasn't defensively sound either. So. Um, I think you know, that's team what hurts wasn't him. Either, to be honest. True, true. It's just like you know he's been one of the most consistent uh, defensemen in the league right now in terms of offensive points. Um, so I feel like he deserves some recognition. I don't know if he's gonna win, uh, but I, I want I want him in the discussion. So um, I'm gonna I'm pulling for your guy. <laughs> um, anyways, go Wait. out to the off ice news.
0: Yeah, yeah. hopefully uh, we get uh, some support from somebody uh, when it comes to building a downtown rink because, uh, (laughs) surprise, surprise, another update on that. Uh, Melnick's Rendezvous LeBreton partner, John Ruddy, countersuing the Sens owner. Forget this, $1 billion. That's billion with a B, not million with an M. B, billion uh and melnick's party proposed to ruddy's group that they take on most of the building costs and that this group would get revenue money later on once the building is built and the team is playing hockey there ruddy's group obviously stood bewildered proposal what knows later national capital commission pulls the plug on the rendezvous le breton and other options to fill dev the group that lost the original bed to rendezvous le breton Said they are willing to take over if the NCC decides to go to them. Their plan also includes a downtown arena. What all this tells me is that Melnick is willing to play in a, in an arena he does not own and that maybe he isn't as rich as people think he is. Honestly, I think Eugene Melnick is in pretty. Uh, and if you're curious, uh oh, you haven't heard from Randy Lee in a while. What's going on with him? Well, we haven't update on that too. Pleaded guilty to a harassment charge that stems from his trip to Buffalo for the NHL Combine back in May. Merry Christmas Sense fans. It's fun to be alive. Yeah.
1: 2019
0: is so much better than 2018. 2018
1: <laughs> was hell. You're still so pessimistic now I guess. I guess you have a right to be though but
0: <laughs> Yeah. It, like it's nothing it's not like the whole Canada experiment has failed it's right. just for it, it's just like it's just like an ancient building that has got so much history and right. maybe that's not the best analogy but i liken it to this um it's like an ancient building that's got so much nostalgia and everything about it is so iconic and so neat and you don't want those memories to die but for the sake of For the survival of the team, they have to play in a different venue. They have to play in a modernized venue. It needs to be in a better location. In the case of Ottawa, it needs to be in a better location. If you put it in the downtown area or close enough to downtown, that broadens the amount of people that you can get to come. But you put it in a place like Canada where it's far from, far away from places like Buckland and all those areas that um that will have an easier time going to Sens games if it's closer to downtown. Um you're not really doing those people in Rockland and Orleans any good if you keep them in Canada. And I live in Canada. I'm without traffic. I'm it's convenient. But for what well, it's not about parking they've complained about, about travel and, and all this kind of stuff and the parking uh, in the years past has been brutal too the price down parking are just terrible so um i think in order for this franchise to be level they need a downtown arena and this is the best place to have that and You can't really build a downtown arena for the Sens to play in. Owner is 100% all in. And uh, in case you haven't heard, Eugene Melnick is tough to please. So um, a lot of Sens fans are biting their fingernails because the more time passes and the less progress goes on, uh, the more worried we're getting over here in Ottawa. And count me as one of them, frankly. I'm starting to get worried now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hopefully, it works out well. But yeah, we'll. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, to this is
1: one.
0: This is gonna be one of those ongoing
1: stories that you're gonna hear from. But For sure. Um, what what's gonna happen next is
0: they're gonna reconvene in January and mid January. Uh, the NCC will, and uh, they're gonna figure out what to go from uh, from there. And uh, if if Dev Cor can. Uh, If DevCorp can get Eugene Melnick on board, then uh, good for them because uh, we all know that uh, John Ruddy's group isn't going, they don't seem very keen to work with them anymore. So we'll uh, see what happens in 2019. Hopefully there's more progress than there was this year.
1: Yep. Um, All right, let's let's wrap things up. Um, uh, I hope you guys had a fun Christmas. Uh, This is going to be put out on... December 26th, but, um, yep. I hope, uh, everything is well. You can look at our Twitter at lease up podcast. Follow us there. Um, our Facebook is lace them up. Our, um, you can mail us at email us at, uh, lace up bag at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's about it. Our SoundCloud and iTunes subscribe to us there. Um, both places, um, Yep, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff.
0: I'm Steve Ellsworth and we'll wrap up the top 5 stories of 2018 in our next edition, episode 152 of the Layman's Up podcast.